Our scripture this morning comes from Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. Moses' intercession. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by your name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us. In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Have you ever been called a name that you didn't care for? Christians have often been called a lot of names, some things that we don't necessarily care for as much as others. But one name you probably haven't heard someone call you that was true for early Christians was atheists. Early Roman people would call Christians atheists because they denied the existence of all of these gods. So they'd see all these statues and they'd say, well, that's not God and that's not God. And instead, they followed an invisible God. So like, who are these weirdos, these atheists? deny all of these gods, and, and they believe in some invisible God. And so it's into the midst of that, and that conversation, uh, that we've been doing a series looking for God. We can ask, what is it to look for an invisible God? And we, we talked in the beginning of the series about Paul, who even Paul said, we don't necessarily know everything. Sometimes that's hard for people to admit, so we just see in a mirror dimly. We have limitations. And last week we looked at Elisha, who, who walked a bunch of people through new seeing experiences. Uh, whether that was his servant who needed to know that God was present and supportive, or uh, whether that's Israel's king, who thought he had an opportunity to win a battle, and Elisha directs him to open up a table for a giant feast with their enemies. Uh, we've been on this journey through sight, and we get into a text today uh, where people are wanting to encounter God's presence, they want to see God, 
And I think the question that I want to start off with, which I think might sound like a softball, but by the end of the service, maybe we'll feel a little bit differently, is do you want to encounter God? The church answers, yeah, yeah, of course. But when we walk into our text today, Moses and the people of Israel have very real reasons why they want to encounter God. They are walking in fear into the unknown. God has moved them out of Egypt and slavery, and in the story they are walking to destination unknown, looking for a promised land, looking for a place to thrive, a place to be free, a place to follow God as they want. And so they're in the midst of that, and in our story, they haven't been doing a great job. So in the chapter before the one we read today, Moses is up on a mountain. He's supposed to be getting God's commands. They're supposed to be making a covenant to say, God, we're going to follow you faithfully. And they're all looking at their clocks at the bottom of the mountain and like, well, it's been 40 days. What do you want to do? Let's make a golden calf. This invisible God that I can't see and I don't know if he's going to take me to the next spot. Let's, let's, let's do something. And so they form a God and they, they're, they're celebrating it. And the rest of that chapter is not very pleasant. Moses and God are both not happy with the people. And so God was very upset in our story before we got to this text. And so he's like, you know, if I were to go with you, I would probably consume you. So I'm just going to send some, some messengers, some angels ahead of me, and you can go with them. And so Moses and Israel are fearful of, I need God's presence. How do I get to that promised land in front of me? And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I've wondered, how on earth am I going to get to that next spot that I think God's calling me to? How on earth am I going to get through this challenge, through this wilderness, through this wandering and meandering around? Uh, One of the the things that hits me the strongest is uh, I've shared with you that I had a very unhealthy, toxic church that I grew up in, and I had a very unpleasant relationship with my church. Um, for those of you who don't know, the, uh, I had a church where the pastor had affairs with many of the women he had been counseling, and when all of that came out, you know, this is much earlier than the Me Too movement we're currently living in, uh, but when all of that came out, kind of your, your imagination or your expectation of church was really shaped, and Uh, And so when I was graduating from high school and felt like God was calling me into ministry, that seemed crazy. Because I didn't have a healthy church experience. I had no positive church example. What on earth is it for God to be moving in me where I feel like God's calling me to ministry? And yet you've never seen it. You've never seen that promised land. Uh, Beth and I have been, you know, moved from from school location to school location, and, and when we felt God drawing us into church life, and we were in discernment, and this church was in discernment, where are we going together? And be like, God, are you, are you going with me? Are you there? Do I see the presence of God here? And so Moses is wondering that. God, can I, can I just experience you so I know that you're going with me? And so there's fear in this, in this moment, uncertainty in this moment. 
And I think as a church, we feel that too. You know, that we've had our mountaintop moments, we've had our valley lows. God, where are you guiding us? Where are you taking us? Can I just feel your presence so I have comfort, I have strength, I have courage for the next moment? And so in that moment, Moses is is kind of going back and forth with God, and God says, okay, fine, I'll go with you. But Moses ups the ante a bit in the story and has a bold request. Show me your glory, I pray. We often joke, sometimes you should be careful about what you ask for. You know, if you've ever thought about praying about patience, and it just seems like now's the moment where the toddler throws the fit, where you lose a job, where every light is always red, where the checkout lines are always long. Show me your glory, I pray. And in the story, God is protective. God gives a partial no in the story. God says, you can't handle seeing all of my glory. You can't handle perfection. You need a proper dose. The story says, uh, for no one shall see me and live. And it goes on and the Lord says, see, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So there's a little weird kind of mechanic. Go hide behind this little crevice, peek through. I'm going to block your vision until I walk by and then I will let you see the back of me. A very peculiar image. Um, But I think that there's very strong power in that. You can't handle a full vision of what I have for you or what could be. Maybe you just need a momentary little glimpse for right now because to see it all in one spot might be too much, but maybe just the back side of that little passing by would be enough in this moment. It's not just Moses here. Humans love to look for the unseeable. Moses, I want to see you. Uh, You've probably heard in the news a few weeks back, maybe several weeks back now, uh, that there was a team of researchers, the Event Horizon Telescope Collaboration, that took the very first ever black hole image. To think about the effort to take a picture of something you can't take a picture of, to see something you can't see, uh, that to get close enough to experience it is to be into... uh, uh, to be collapsed inside of it, so no light is coming off of it. You you can't see the black hole itself. And this particular black hole they were looking at, 55 million light years away, already there, we can't even imagine what this is. Uh, You got a spaceship that goes the speed of light, 55 million years later, here's where we're at. The fact that that people like you and me would just even have the imagination to be able to look for something so far away. To give you the weight of this, uh, the weight of this star, of this black hole, is equivalent to six and a half billion of our suns. And it took a team 
of 200 or so people from 60 institutes from 20 countries and regions around the world to try to get you an image. And what they realized was at that distance, they needed a planetary-sized telescope. Well, that's expensive. And so instead, with ingenuity, they got telescopes from different parts of the world and got them all calibrated on the same atomic clock so at the exact same moment from all these places that needed clear weather all at the exact same time to gather tons and tons of data, store it up, put it on a plane, fly it to a spot where you need a supercomputer to put all of that data back together again to get you what looks like a fuzzy image of a circle of an orange halo with black nothingness in the midst of it. A giant endeavor to see the unseeable. And when Moses asks, show me your glory, that's a, that's a phrase that's a church word. You ask somebody on the street, what does glory mean? Who knows what you're going to hear? Uh, literally, it means weight or heaviness. And then metaphorically, you know, you get this idea of honor, you know, reputation, that weighty presence in the room. Show me your glory, that, the weight of your presence. Uh, if you think about being in the room, the mayor walks into your space. And you feel the whole room kind of tilt towards somebody. Uh, you know, the, the weight of their presence affects people in the room. If you were to go into a Tigers game, Cabrera walked out next to you, Whoa. And it's not just because of Cabrera's size. His reputation changes the room. If you were one of the people that spent uh, about two and a half billion dollars to go see Avengers in the last few weeks, Robert Downey Jr. walks into your movie theater to watch a screening with you, the whole room is going to tilt. And black holes are the biggest tilting things we can imagine physically that six and a half billion solar sun-like sized things ripping things into it. And Moses is saying, I want to see your weighty presence. Show me your presence in my midst. Let me feel the gravity and the weight. And so, that's the request, and it's partially granted. And here's the thing, seeing it comes with a price. It's a good price, but it's a price. You can't see it and not be changed. Just even a little glimpse transforms you. Even a little glimpse. And so in the next chapter, when we see Moses walk down from that mountain, it says, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and as he came down from the mountain, with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses didn't know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Now, I, I've, I think I've told in a previous message that there's a funny art history moment in this verse where this word gets translated as had horns. So if you see like Michelangelo's statue of Moses, you get a, a horned Moses. But all it is is, is light shining forth from his head, uh, whatever depiction you see, it's, he's transformed. He's not the same person when he comes down the mountain. And I think that that is true of all encounters of God. 
That's the scary yet exciting good news of the gospel. When you encounter God and God's presence is invited to all people everywhere. When you're invited into that presence, you're invited to change, to transformation. And so status quo kind of runs contrary to the gospel. We'll just keep it the way it is. You know, like, I kind of like my life the way it is. But when you see true beauty, true love, true goodness, you can't help but be pulled into that orbit. And so God's presence reshapes us. And that's hard because, I don't know about you, but your brain has certain structures of ways of thinking and ways of doing things. And so change means that you're physically changing as well as, you know, practically changing. But that's the, that's the cost of coming into the presence of God. Paul talks about it like fruit. You know, that the seeds bear fruit in you. That, that the fruit of love and joy and peace can't help but come out of where the Spirit has been at work. And so even just a glimpse of God is transformative. I can't help but think about kind of that new Christian glow. When you've seen someone who's just kind of recently decided to make that journey for themselves, they, they've, uh, uh, they've suddenly decided to trust in God and to follow into God's footsteps. And they, you just can't help but see it in them. Like, they radiate it. They can't help but share their story. Like, I got to tell somebody about it. And there's just like a contagious atmosphere around people who've had that experience. Uh, and I, I can't help but think about back in Milwaukee, we had a few folks that, you know, they were, we had someone who's living under a bridge who then is, is worshiping with our community, helping play an instrument, helping lead a ministry, uh, you know, within, a, within six months, within a year, their life was completely different. You know, someone living on the streets who now is working on a nonprofit leadership board. And when your life has changed, you can't help but share it. You can't help but want to talk about it and, and, and let everybody know about that change. I think about the people on Thursday nights that come in our space for personal care. You know, you have some people who come in and, and there's a cloudy atmosphere that comes in with them. But you also have really, really beautiful uh, faces shining out with hope, with joy, with gratitude, who encounter God in the midst of getting some products, in the midst of getting treated with dignity. And I think one of our challenges is how do I not just have, why don't, how do I not just reminisce about a former experience? How do I keep looking for God to continue to transform me? That it's not just enough about my story about, you know, X number of years ago, God has done something for me, God has moved in me. But how do I keep coming, looking for God to do something new? How do I keep showing up saying, God, transform me, even today? And I get that, like, I've got a lot of years ahead of me. And I get that it's got to be hard to come in and be, I'm going to throw out a year out here, but come in here at 95 and say, God, I still want something new to happen. You know, what is it to have that perspective through your whole life that, God, I'm looking for something to be transformed, to be even more like you, to even be more your hands and your feet in this community? 
And that's a hard call, because it's easy to just want to stay into the status quo and say, I'm comfortable in my past experiences. But God, show me your glory. Can you actually get to that space where you're actually willing to ask that question of God? And so I think we have plenty of opportunities to ask that question of God. Show me your presence. Sometimes that's in service opportunities at our pantry opportunities, uh, making quilts for somebody. Sometimes that's a book study where you're encountering new ideas. And instead of just always coming with, well, I already know what I believe, being actually open to encountering God and maybe changing on something. Sometimes that's a prayer group where maybe I can just share and be real about what's going on in my life and be invited into a space where God can transform it's also spaces like this, worship services. You know, are, are we coming into worship hoping to be encountering God and being transformed to be agents of transformation in the world throughout the rest of our week? God, show me your glory. Show me the weight of your presence. Do we really want to encounter God? Because we don't know what the result is. You don't quite know what that change will look like, what that transformation in my life will look like until I go on that path. I heard the, the head of that telescope collaboration, uh, he gave a TED talk. And he closed his TED talk with a, with a statement about black holes that I want to read to you. He said, Black holes are the central mystery of our age because that's where the quantum world and the gravitational world come together and what's inside is a singularity. And that's where all the forces become unified because gravity finally is strong enough to compete uh, to compete with all of the other forces. But it's hidden from us. The universe has cloaked it in the ultimate invisibility cloak so we don't know what happens in there. And if that's in any way true about black holes, it is even more true about God. The central mystery, not just of our own time, but of all time, that one who despite whatever contrary forces, the forces of selfishness, of greed, of pride, all of those things at some point hit the event horizon of God in which God restores all that is broken, unites all that is apart, and transforms for God's purposes. And so, even though we can't see God directly, even sometimes it just seems like we're peeking through cracks in a mountainside like Moses, I think we can see the effects of God all around us. If we're looking in the right places. Like in that image, you're not really seeing the black hole, you're seeing all of what surrounds it. I hope that our community is one in which you see God's presence at work all around us, and you see God at work in the lives of young and old, of new Christians, of older Christians, and that that glow would give you hope, would give you inspiration to be able to be daring enough to ask God to encounter God. Show me your glory. So if you want to give a yes to God, Keep showing up. Show up with an open heart to wherever God might transform you.
I can't tell you what it's like on the other side of that, other than it will be a transformation, and that everything that we see around God's presence ultimately is unbelievably beautiful and good and awe-inspiring. So may you lean into God's loving embrace, trusting in faith this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come as people hopeful about where you are guiding us, where that promised land is out in front that you, you are taking us. We come hopeful that your presence is enough for us, that being able to encounter you is enough, and that we come with willingness to see how you might grow me and grow us in ways that we might not even expect. Lord, I just ask that you would comfort those who are in distress, and you would give hope to those without it, encourage to those who are looking for that next step in their faith journey. It's in your name we pray. Amen.